If he's been good to you, let me hear you say, thank you, Lord. If you believe by faith that he's going to be good to you tomorrow, let me hear you say, thank you, Lord. If you're grateful that he woke you up this morning, because he didn't have to, and breathed into you the breath of life. One more time, let me hear you say, thank you, Lord. Come on, celebrate at all of our campuses. We're already together. We're locked in together. We love you guys at all of our campus locations. Come on, in the midst of God's goodness, let's just humble ourselves and uh, bow before our good, good Father. Lord, we love you today. God, we thank you that you brought us to this place. We thank you for this country. We thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that we live in the land of the free where we can come and gather in your name without fear of persecution, where we can break open the word of the Lord. We can study, we can learn, we can grow. Father, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today. God, I pray that as we leave here today, we would be different people, transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Father God, would you take our minds? Would you think through them? Would you take our hearts and fill with them? Lord Jesus, would you take my lips and speak through them today? For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if, you, um, if you're ready to hear the word of the Lord, let me hear you celebrate him and take a seat. Come on. Come on. So glad you are here. Honored that you would come and spend a little time with us. I guess you could have gone to the fair. Is the fair on today or did it end last night? It's on today. How many of you are still not sure you made the right choice? I think you made the right choice. I'm so glad you're here. May God have mercy on all those pagans who went to the fair instead of church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, welcome. Glad you're here. If you're new, um, my name is Benji. I'm one of the pastors here. Just honored that you'd spend a little time with us today. Before we get into it, um, I want to tell you about where we're going in two weeks. I sat down this week to prepare another message in the series, God Speaks, and it was going to be the finale. And I have no other way to describe it to you except that God would not let me prepare the message for today until I prepared the message for next Sunday. And so next Sunday is going to be the, the finale of God Speaks, learning to hear his voice. I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't happy with God. God ever do something you like, God, I'm not really crazy about that. Like I, I prepared two messages this week, one for next Sunday. You do not want to miss it. It's the grand finale of this series, God Speaks. Then when that was done, the Lord finally let me spend some time on today's message. And then after next week, two Sundays from today, I want to kind of let you know where we're going. And I want to set it up by letting you know the reason I'm doing this series, I hope you know this, our passion as a church is to bless you. We want to make your life better as we try to let God make our lives better. And we're about to go into a season uh, every year, year after year, of unparalleled stress and anxiety. The Mayo Clinic did a study, and every year, year after year after year, November and December are the highest stress months of the year. I mean, think about it. You got Thanksgiving, and you're normally eating with people you'd rather not be eating with. <laughs> then you got Christmas, and that drunk uncle shows up. 
It's a hard time, right? The holidays are difficult. On top of that, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but now it's not just November and December. Our culture is stressed out. Anxiety is at an all-time high. I hate to bring a little sad news to the table. Suicide rates have gone up by 24% in the last decade. I'm tired of getting wrapped up in it. I'm also tired and it breaks my heart to see so many of you, and here's the name of the series, here's the name of the series, Overwhelmed overwhelmed. I'm going to try my best to preach from the word of God. There's the subtitle, breaking free from anxiety. I'm going to try my best in November to get us ready for that stressful season, but to teach us how to not live stressed out, freaked out, overwhelmed, and overloaded lives. And it all starts on November 4th. So let's get on, let's get on into it today. If you're new, I've been spending the, the last uh, five weeks, going on six weeks, talking about the, the primary ways historically in which God speaks to us. Six primary love languages that we've been talking about. Bless me and let me know that you've been following along with me. And don't worry, I'm going to help you. They're going to be on the screen. Here's the first one. The pinnacle of the pinnacle of scripture, that was week one. Number two, read it with me out loud, really strong. The presence of people. Number three, the purpose of, there you go. Number four, the potential of dreams. Number five, the power of promptings. Number six, the possibility of desires. The possibility of what? Take out your teaching notes with me if you would, please. Write this down. The sixth love language that God uses to speak to us is the possibility of desires. Write it in, the possibility of desires. And you might find that an interesting word that I put before desires, I put the word possibility. Because I don't know if you've realized this or not, I know I have some of my desires are really jacked up and not of God. Some of your desires that rage within you, they are not godly desires. But some of the desires that you have and I have are of God, which is why it is very important that we camp out on this very tricky subject and that we learn to figure out and discern what desires are of God, what desires does God actually have some more work still to do before I act on those desires, and what desires just come from my sinful, carnal nature? And if there ever was a verse that has been misinterpreted when it comes to this topic, it's a verse that I love that you've actually heard me quote many times. But I'm telling you, this is a verse that has been so misinterpreted over the years. I want you to read it out loud like it's the word of the Lord. Ready? Go. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. One more time out loud. Let me hear your balcony. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Such a great verse. Such a warm, fuzzy verse. Such a nice coffee mug verse. Is it not? You just, you, you just kind of want to snuggle up to it. And we love it. It's one of the most popular verses in the Bible. And the reason we love it is because we have this tendency to misinterpret it. And this is how we interpret it. I know I have, and I'm sure you have, if you've heard the verse before. 
Oh, so if I take delight in God, I'm going to get what I want. Oh, so if I snuggle up and take delight in God, I'm going to get my desires. And what happens is, this is the way we misinterpret it. What happens is God, follow me, becomes a means unto an end, which is what I want. Therefore, God becomes an idol, right? God becomes, or actually I should say this, the thing I desire becomes an idol and God becomes a means unto my idol. And the Bible says God will have no other idols. Now, now what's cool about this verse is if you get it right, you actually can understand that it's a powerful verse. And the good news is Paul helps us out with that in Philippians 4. Paul quotes the verse, if you will, throws a few extra addendum words on there, and and the verse just kind of breaks open for us. Philippians 4, verse 19. You read it so well last time. Let's read it again together. Ready? Go. And my God will meet all your needs slash desires. I put the word desires in there because in the Greek, it kind of gets at the same exact thing. Go. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. According to what? The riches of his glory. So the point is God will give you the desires of your heart only if God is front and center and and, and the riches of Christ is your heart's desire. God will give you the desires of your heart if you will allow him to come in and sanctify and transform your desires. Now, I've intentionally held off till now and I'm gonna really go there next week talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. You can never really get a hold of the way in which God speaks to you, particularly through your desires, without understanding what the Holy Spirit does in your life. If you are a believer, how many of you, and and by the way, if you don't raise your hand, we're so glad you're here. Welcome, because we are a church where people can come check it out, kick the tires, lift the hood, all that stuff. But how many of you would consider yourself born again, child of God, you're saved, Awesome. Wow. Awesome. Now listen closely. The moment you got saved, if it was a genuine, authentic salvation experience, and only God can decide that, not me. But the moment you got saved, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit was deposited into your heart and soul. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. And if you will then start to yield and surrender and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit... God starts to transform your life. Can I get an amen? Any witnesses to the fact that God can change a human being? Yeah, absolutely. And so if you will yield to the Holy Spirit, be engaged in some holy habits and some disciplines, get into the word, pray, go to church, do life with others, serve, the Holy Spirit will come in and he will actually start to change you. He will change you so much that you will not speak the same way you used to speak. You will not laugh at the same jokes you used to laugh at. You will not tell the same jokes. Quite often, you will not go to the same movies you used to go to. You will not listen to the same music you once listened to. God will actually start to change a person. Lean in, don't miss this. In other words... You truly delight yourself in the Lord. You truly seek first his kingdom. And God changes your desires. 
so that your desires, come on now, are actually not your desires anymore, but actually his desires. And therefore, God gives you what he wanted to give you in the first place because it just took a little time for your desires to be transformed into his desires. And God then gets the pleasure of giving you the desires of your heart, which he really wanted you to have in the first place. And some of you are like, what you talking about, Willis? I know it's complicated, but it's really not. When the Holy Spirit comes in, so when the Bible says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When the Holy Spirit comes in, and the process, and I'm going to use a few big words, and you know I don't like to throw around big words, but they're theological words, but they're really, really important. When you get saved, and God puts the Holy Spirit into your heart, you actually start to begin a process of regeneration. A better word is sanctification. And the Holy Spirit comes into you and the Holy Spirit starts to change you. It starts to chisel away those things that are not of God. It starts to build up and pour in and develop those things that are of God. And in time, you change so much that your desires are actually not your desires, but God's desire in your life. Now that is good news. When I, um, I know some of you don't know me, others of you know me quite well. Um, before Christ saved me, like I was really, really lost. I was lost as an Easter egg. And, um, <laughs> and God came in and he wrecked me. He saved me. And when I was out of God, I was all out of God. I mean, I was way lost. When, I, when God saved me, I went all in. And God started changing me. And he started transforming me. And one of the things that I used to do before Christ was I used to listen to some really bad music. And, and you might go, well, what kind? Um, uh, all kinds. But my favorite was hard, hard rock and roll. And listen, I'm not an anti-rock and roll. I, please don't make a mistake. Like I will still rock out in a heart. This church rocks out. Can I get an amen? amen. Now we rock out for Jesus, right? But back then I wasn't rocking out for Jesus. Back then, I was listening to some bad music, and um, I'll never forget, and this is going to convict some of you, because you, you, you probably played it on the way in here today. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, was, I was listening to stuff like ACDC. I was listening to all kinds of other music that I could name, but here's my point. After I went all in with God, it was only a matter of time before the Holy Spirit convicted me of the music I was listening to. And I shall never forget the night I went outside in my backyard back in Sumter, South Carolina. And the stars were out and I built a bonfire. And I took all my tape. Young person. Let me tell, young person. Let me tell you about. You, you, some of you don't even know. There was this thing back then called cassette tapes. <laughs> Come on. Oh, oh, should I call us older people? People who have matured a little bit. You remember the cassette tapes? Young person, what they were is they were, these, they were these square, little rectangular, if you will, plastic things. And you, it's amazing. You would, you would throw them into what was called a cassette tape deck, if you will. And y'all remember, sometimes you'd pull them out. Young person, you never had to deal with this. You'd pull them out, and unfortunately, sometimes the tape, the tape would stay in there. You remember that? And then you'd get up in there, and you'd get it out. And then, y'all hey, with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. You'd get a little pin or something, and you'd stick it in there. You young people think you got it all made. You don't know what you miss with cassette tapes. 
But I, I got down, beautiful night, stars in the sky, and I burned. I had, I had an Old Testament sacrificial burning, if you will. And I burned the cassette. Don't, don't overly spiritualize me. That doesn't make me a good person. I shouldn't have been listening to the junk in the first place. But that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets in you. He starts to sanctify you. He starts to transform you. And because this is a very, very tricky subject, here's what I'm going to do for the rest of our time together. I want to give you some cautionary points. Because again, it's the possibility of the desires. If you get this one wrong, it can mess you up. But if you get it right, you'll be set on a, on a, on a trajectory that will revolutionize and change your life. So I want to talk to you about cautionary points or application, if you will. If you want to read into this subject a little more deeply, I got two books I want to highly recommend for you. Robert Morris wrote a book called Frequency. Robert Morris is the pastor at Gateway Church in Texas. Texas forever. Any Texas people in the house? Come on. Wow. I would have thought more. And, and Mark Batterson wrote a book called Whisper. Mark Batterson wrote a book called Whisper. Both have impacted me deeply. Here's the first cautionary sign application. As you're wading through your desires, trying to discern what is of God and what is not, trying to discern what to act on, who to marry, where to work, where to go to school, etc. Be very careful with emotional desires slash decisions. Be very careful making a decision when you are in an emotional frenzy. I have found very few things that interfere with following God as much as emotions that are not sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't make important decisions and don't act on desires when it's emotional. Church, this is how you get tattoos in the wrong places. <laughs> this is how you put the wrong tattoos anywhere. I know a guy, I know a guy, he was dating a, a girl named Tabitha, and he had it bad for Tabitha. And, he, and uh, he decided Tabitha was the one. And so he put Tabitha, he had Tabitha tattooed right across his heart. Within weeks, Tabitha dropped him like a pile of bricks. You got to be careful with emotional decisions. And so... And so as I, y'all having too much fun up here. And so as I think about the Holy Spirit in our lives, listen, it reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5? There are nine of them. You remember? The last one, you remember the ninth one? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. This is about self-control. I had this thought this week, maybe God listed it ninth because it's the one that takes the longest to cultivate in our lives. Self-control. One of the very best ways, one of the very best ways to develop self-control is to avoid making emotional decisions. To put it more plainly, to actually not be reactionary. 
When you have desires, don't act on those desires in an emotional state or in a reactionary way. And by the way, guys, what I'm doing today is I'm talking to you about stuff I've learned the hard way. I mean, have any of you ever done something that you lived to regret because you acted in the, in the moment? This means you don't buy a car after you test drive it one time. Men, you don't buy her a wedding ring after the second date. Ladies, this means you don't yank your kids up out of schools that they love and move all the way across the country just because you got offered a high-powered job with more salary. You push pause, you reflect, you ponder, you pray, and you seek wise counsel. Any American history buffs in the house? Anybody who just love American history? So we have one Texan and two... Y'all a trip, man. <laughs> Old Abe Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln used to have a practice where whenever he got mad at someone, he would, he would write out, not type, remember, different day. He would write out what he called a hot letter. A hot letter. He found it to be cathartic. He found it help him, helped him deal with his emotions. And then when he got done writing this hot letter, he would put it away. He would think, ponder, pray about the contents of the letter, his emotional state, and then he'd pull the letter back out, and nine times out of ten, he would write on the top of it, never signed, never sent. Now, how, <laughs> how many of you wish that you could pull back an email that you hit send on? <laughs> I can always tell whether or not I should send the email or not based upon how hard I type. <laughs> I was at the kitchen table the other week and my kids and Amy Lynn are here and Amy Lynn said, you're shaking the table. Let me tell you about this great feature that your email system has. Put it in the draft folder and don't hit Send. You know, Abraham Lincoln was actually teaching us way back then what psychologists call today a pattern interrupt. A what? A pattern interrupt. And the difference between reacting and responding with care makes all the difference in the world. Psychology, by the way, is just echoing what the book of James said a long time ago in the Bible. Why don't we read it out loud together? James 1, 19, go. Be quick to... Slow to, and slow to become. Slow down. Think about the emotional state that you are in, in the moment. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about something that has become very popular in the last couple of decades. We're talking about not IQ, but EQ. Many of you grew up, those of you who grew up with me with cassette tapes, you grew up buying the lie, and the lie was IQ is everything. And the moment you start to feel like someone else is smarter than you, they have a higher IQ than you, we tended to start feeling like losers, right? 
The good news is today, what we're learning is that EQ, your emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence is far more important than your IQ. I was speaking to the leaders about this this very week in Infuse. We had an online leadership event. And I was talking to them about this. There's been hard data supporting what I'm talking to you about today. Daniel Goldman did a study and found that only 20% of the factors that lead to vocational success is related to IQ. 20%. The other 80% is related to EQ, the emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. Coleman would say this, emotional intelligence is the ability to identify, access, and controls, control one, one's own emotions, the emotions of others, and that of groups. So if you want to grow in your emotional IQ, if you will, your emotional relational wherewithal, your awareness. Have you guys ever been around anybody and they are just not aware of how they're acting or what they're saying? Stop, y'all. The rowdy bunch up here. Why don't you make this your prayer? And this is one of my prayer. Again, I'm just delivering stuff that I've learned the hard way many times. Why don't you make this prayer every morning? God, make me more aware, self-aware, and give me a greater sense of emotional intelligence or emotional health. Second cautionary point of application. Here we go. If you want it too much, you might want it for the wrong reason. And some of you are like, wait a minute. When I want something, I know that it's of God. Oh yeah? This is contradictory, counterintuitive, but stick with me here for just a moment. If we're not careful, we can think that if we really, 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 really want something really, really bad, it must be a good desire. Actually, that is very, very far from the truth. If you want something too much, it is often an indication that you are not ready for it. Hello. If you want something too much, it has a very good potential of becoming an idol. Remember, I told you God says, I will have no idols before me. I've actually had to die to some God-ordained dreams and God visions because I wanted them too bad. If you want it too much, you might want it for the wrong reason. Do you know where I see this most lived out? I've already picked on those of us who are older and we listen to cassette tapes. Let me talk to the single people in the house. Single people. Now, if you're single and you're happily single and you're like, I ain't never want to get married again, forget that. Uh, you, you can check out. But if you're a single person, if you're a single person and you want to get married, this is where I see this played out a lot. You want to be married so bad that you actually put that person up on a pedestal and you think you found the one and you desire it really, really, really bad. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into the false illusion that that person will complete you. Married people, married person in the back said, preach. (laughs) 
married people, will their spouse complete them? Listen, <laughs> y'all didn't have to do it so emphatically. This is single person, single person, single. Your future spouse will not complete you. They were never intended to complete you. It's a heavy burden. It's an unfair burden to put that on anyone to expect a spouse to complete you. There is only one who will complete you, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the one, come on church, that died on a cross for you. He's the one that'll fill you, that Holy Spirit infused within you. That's what completes you. Not some single person. Number three, this is very much related to number two. Write it in. If you are unsure if a desire is of God, give it some time and discern whether it waxes or wanes over time. Oh my. There's so much value in learning to push pause, practice patience, and wait. Conventional wisdom is right. Patience is a virtue. There are times when you just need to sleep on something. And there's times when you need to sleep on it again. And again. And again. My mentor taught me a long time ago. Again, I've learned a lot of this the hard way. Taught me a long time ago to give some desires the three-month test. Three months. If you want something really, really bad and you're not sure it's of God, you're not sure God's in it, and you don't know what to do, and your wise counsel can't quite answer for you, give it three months, and you wait. And can I tell you the number of times that once I circled back to something after three months, I couldn't even hardly remember what it was I thought I wanted in the first place. You just, it's just in time, it, it loses its... It's attractiveness, if you will. Back to Psalm 37, 4. Listen, delight yourself in the Lord. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord and the desire passes the test of time by waxing stronger, there is a greater likelihood it's a good thing or a God thing. If you're with me, say, keep going. Conversely, so if you are delighting yourself in the Lord and time passes and that desire starts to wane, it's a really good chance that is not a good idea or of God. Quite often, if you would just push pause, wait some time, God will bring it back around and reveal to you exactly what you need to do. This is not in my notes, but let me go back to the single person, single people. Oh, the single ladies. Let me go back. Remind me later to tell y'all about a Beyonce, Jay-Z concert. My wife and I went to about a month ago in Los Angeles. Oh, um, I, I got to stop. Stop. Holy Spirit saying to me right now, stop. Stop. Boom. I will share it though, I promise you. Where was I? Oh, single ladies. Um, Our, so some of the pastors and myself have a tendency to practice this at New Hope when we, when we come across young people who are dating and they're fighting or they're having hard times or most popularly, they've crossed the line sexually. Even though they're dating, they're not married yet, they've crossed the line. 
I will often say to the young couple, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to stop dating for a year. Now, there's usually one of them <laughs> who's ready to punch me right in the nose at that very moment. Usually the one who's enjoying the fact that they have crossed the line, if you know what I mean. But we'll say, hey, won't you take an extended period of not, you can still be friends, but no intimacy. Just take a, a period away from dating and see what God does in their relationship. And here's what God will do if two people will honor that. He will let them know this is of God and they will come back together or God will not. I'm telling you, there's something about just giving something some time. Fourthly, last thing. Check your ego at the door. I didn't say go eat an ego waffle. <laughs> you let go of my ego. Check your what, church? Ego. ego at the door. I have learned the hard way over the years that if you actually start to think carefully about your desires, listen, if you get deep in a desire, if you get down to the root of why you are desiring something, especially your unhealthy desires, you will actually start to realize that your ego is all inextricably tied up in that desire. Here's what I mean. Here's an example. In America, we all know that we live in the land of mass consumption, right? Kenya campus, so glad you're, you're dialing in, but you, this might not apply as much to you. But in America, it's all about the letters before your name or after your name. It can be all about where you go to school. It can be all about how many toys you have. It can be all about this and that. And if you're not careful, you'll start to play the comparison game. And by the way, social media does not help us in this regard. Hello. I will be talking about social media in the Overwhelmed series starting in two weeks. But what ends up happening is we start to compare our lives with other people's lives. And because our grading scale is so jacked up, we start to desire things that are not good and godly, but we desire them because our ego is all mixed up in that. And so you have to learn to check your ego at the door. I will give you another example in which this can happen a lot. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but you can be pursuing a God-ordained dream, but because you are pursuing it for the wrong reasons, God can be unpleased with your pursuit. You're like, what you talking about? I know it sounds contradictory, but put your thinking caps on and just think about this with me for a moment. To take it one step further, did you know that you can be doing the will of God and God oppose it because you're doing it for the wrong motives? Hey, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so let me, let me talk to those of you who are into missions. I've kind of talked to young people and cassette tape people. I might as well talk to those of you who love missions. I love missions. This church loves missions. Can I get an amen? We love to be involved in missions. We're always involved in missions. But let me give you an example. If you, if you think, you know what? God's into missions, so I want to go to missions. And you go down at any of our campuses, you go down to, into one of our inner cities. 
And let's just say you get involved that particular day in a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter. Is that a worthy, good thing to do? Absolutely. But if when you go to do it, you're not really concerned about serving the least of these. Instead, all you're really concerned about is getting a couple of selfies, lighting up your Instagram stories page, throwing some tweets out there, making sure you get a poor person in your arm because that will make you look godly. And you have just embarked upon a godly and good activity. But because your heart was not right, God was opposed to it. It's kind of like, might step on some toes now. Might step on my own toes. It's kind of like when you got your Bible open in the morning and you're reading the Word and then you think, man, this will be a great tweet. Or put it on my Instagram. And what you do is you, you then put your Bible in just the right place. You set your coffee mug right there with the verse on it. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, 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 it'll really make me look godly if I grab a highlighter. And I highlight a few verses. <laughs> I've been reading some of your mail, haven't I? I just took a good and godly thing. And I just blew it. Because my ego was all up in it. And the truth is, the Bible says that God opposes the what? God opposes the proud. And shows what? Favor to the humble. Right? You got to be very careful with your ego. All of us, all of us must put our ego on the altar every day. Crucify that thing to the cross of Christ. Die to that carnal nature that tends to want to be so narcissistic and ego driven. And let God do a great work in your life. For more than 30 years, we'll end with this. For more than 30 years, a man by the name of Gordon McKenzie served as a creative paradox at Hallmark Cards. How many of you love to get Hallmark Cards? How many of you love to give Hallmark Cards? How many of you are like me and you think it is a royal waste of money? I'm talking, have you seen the price of Hallmark cards? I mean, they're like six or seven dollars now. My wife likes handwritten cards. Those are better than Hallmark cards. And if I might say so, she is in the house and it is her birthday this weekend. Will you give her some love? I thank God she likes handwritten cards. Because I don't have to go spend $7 on a card. Gordon McKenzie, for 30 years, listen, his, his job was helping colleagues to break the bonds, if you will, of corporate, listen, normalcy. Normalcy. He also held creative workshops at elementary schools. In his book, Orbiting the Giant Hairball, McKenzie said this. Look at this. From cradle to grave... The pressure is on. Be normal. Parents, pay close attention. Some of us, we're too far gone. 
Some of us, we grew up and everything and everybody, parents included, extrapolated from us the desire to be creative or to be unique and everything wants to try to make everybody normal. Don't fall for it. So McKenzie set out to do a study and he went into elementary school classrooms and he asked this question, how many of you want to be artists? Now, our, our bands at all of our campuses and all these people that make all this happen on Sunday, they're going to love this story because they're artists, and I love artists. And Mackenzie would go into the first grade, second grade, third grade, and then he went to sixth graders. He went to these classes, and he would ask the kids, how many of you want to be artists? When he went into the first grade class, he asked that question class after class after class, and all of the first graders' hands popped up, yeah! Now, we know they aren't all artists, but they were enthusiastic about the possibility of it. In the second grade classrooms, McKenzie found that about half the students raised their hands. When he got to the third graders, over and over and over, about a third of the students raised their hands. By the time McKenzie got to the sixth graders, time after time after time, he said only a few at best would hesitantly, and I mean timidly, raise their hands to say that maybe they were going to be artistic. According to McKenzie, every school he visited was participating in the suppression of creative genius by training kids away from their natural born foolishness. And instead of their genius being celebrated and validated, it was criticized and inoculated. And the voice of normalcy became the loudest voice in the room. And McKenzie would go on to say this. Listen in, church. There is a fool in each of us, you know. A rash, brash, harebrained, audacious, imprudent, ill-suited, spontaneous, impolitic, daredevil fool, which in most of us was long ago hogtied and locked in the basement. Don't let culture's desire to tame you and make you normal win the day. Learn to listen to those deep desires within you that God has possibly planted within you. Listen, the Bible says Jesus came to set the captives. What church? Free. Everybody say free. He came to set the captives free, Luke 4, 19. In him there is freedom. And one of the ways in which he wants to unleash you is to teach you how to faithfully, carefully, methodically discern the desires in your life. And when you feel they are of God, you put them in the crosshairs of your life and you go after them as strong as you possibly can. Salvation is more than just forgiveness of sins and pie in the sky heaven when you die. Salvation begins here and now. Jesus came to set us free from the psychological straitjackets that we have gotten ourselves into. But we have to dare to be 
different. And the way you dare to be different is you learn to listen to the godly desires that he has put inside of you. May almighty God give you deep, passionate desires. And may he transform those desires so that those that are not of him, you will throw by the wayside. And may he give you wisdom and discernment and self-control to know the difference. And may he truly, today and every day, give you the desires of your heart. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church.